0: Well, many of you know that I grew up in Southern California. The geography of the landscape of Southern California is pretty amazing. Depending on the weather and the traffic, you could be lying on the beach in Laguna and two hours later drive up to ski at Big Bear about a mile high. When I was a teenager, a common answer to the question, what are you doing this weekend, was we're going to the mountains. And in my Baptist church, going to the mountains usually meant going to a retreat. Those retreats hold memories, first of all, of nearly freezing to death because none of us from beach towns had adequate clothing for the cold. But more meaningfully, I remember invitations to go deeper with God. It was usually in the mountains that I made promises to God. And then I tried to keep them with not much success. But those memories do warm my heart. Tonight's text reminds us that mountains hold great significance in the spiritual life of God's people. And it seems that on nearly every step of the way, God meets his sincere seekers on mountaintops. Abraham and Isaac. Moses in the burning bush, the giving of the Ten Commandments, a place of worship. We read it in Psalm 99 tonight. It talks about worshiping on his holy hill. Jesus prayed on the mountaintops, died on a small mountain, and ascended from a mountain. Mountains are places of prayer and worship and encounter, sacred places sacred spaces where our brothers and sisters have taken off their shoes, fallen on their faces, prayed from their hearts, been rendered speechless. And in each encounter, Old Testament or New Testament, they've experienced God's essence. They saw his glory I've told you before that from time to time, certain faith words kind of grip my heart, jump off the page from scripture. They kind of draw me into deeper study or contemplative focus. Words like silence and tremble and glory. That's at the top of my list. Glory particularly moves me because it carries with it an attempt to describe the indescribable. Glory is a word that's difficult, if not impossible, to define. It often shows up in the text when God chooses to manifest himself supernaturally, when he lets his people see just a hint of who he is. Glory and God go together. You don't have one without the other. So, when Father Kevin asked me to preach this evening as we celebrate the transfiguration where glory is front and center, it was a genuine gift. Thank you very much. So here we are at the end of three seasons of light, Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany, and they all bring us face to face with glory. The angels sing glory in the highest when they welcome Jesus. Simeon sang of the glory that was to surround God's people. A star of light and glory guided the Magi. And now, the transfiguration holds out glory to us for a closer look. This experience of revealed glory on a mountain is told in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And tonight we are looking at Luke's account. So think with me for a minute about what led up to this mountain encounter with God and his glory. First, throughout Luke, each day the disciples were witnessing miracles and healings, people clamoring after Jesus, hanging on every word, the religious leaders trying unsuccessfully to trip him with tough religious questions. Not to speak of the many side conversations the disciples must have had as they traveled with Rabbi Jesus. This is beautifully depicted in The Chosen, that streaming series that most of us have seen or seen part of, that kind of helps us to imagine the ordinary parts of the lives of the disciples and Jesus as they traveled together. But it's here in chapter 9 of Luke, that things take a turn from the ordinary to the existential. First, early in Luke 9, Peter confesses clearly that he believes Jesus is God's Messiah. And in that reality is held the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams of the disciples. Peter said it out loud, but right away Jesus asked them all to keep it secret now, we all know how hard it is to keep a secret. I remember years ago now, Dan and Abby, our son and daughter-in-law who live here, asked us out to lunch at Millennium Park. And it was my birthday, so they gave me a birthday card. And when I opened it up, this piece of paper fell out, picked it up, I thought it was a gift certificate. But when I looked at it, I realized it was a printout of an in utero ultrasound of Sonora, their first daughter. We all squealed with joy, and Dan and Abby shared just how hard it had been to keep such a big secret. So I imagine the disciples were at first puzzled by Jesus' call to secrecy around who he was. Surely, he was on the verge of a kingdom breakthrough. Sometime soon, he'd certainly tell everyone who he was. Why keep it secret? But with Jesus saying, "Keep this to yourselves," His followers over time must have begun to realize that keeping the secret might very well keep him and them out of more serious trouble for at least a while. But Peter's confession does mark a turning place, turning point. And then the disciples begin to hear Jesus talk more and more about a betrayal and his own suffering and death. He also told them he was going to be raised to life again. So I'm sure they were having a lot of trouble getting their heads around all that he was talking about. And also with each day that passed, Jesus was speaking more pointedly. You must disown your life completely. You must embrace my cross as your own. And you must surrender to my ways. It sounded confusing and hard. And then finally, Jesus more and more often was going off alone to pray, usually on a mountain. I'm guessing that in those mountaintop prayer meetings, as he took his disciples from time to time, they heard him pray for them. The promise of a king and kingdom felt like it was slipping away. Things were getting darker. This wasn't exactly what they had signed up for. They must have been questioning whether they were going to be strong enough or what lay ahead. Jesus knew the kind of strength and courage that at least three of them would need, Peter, James, and John. All three would be leaders in the church. Peter and James would be martyred. John would be persecuted and exiled. And Jesus must have also had increasing concern about facing suffering and death himself. The thought of carrying all the sins of the world upon himself had to be beyond unbearable. So with concerns for his disciples and probably for himself, about a week after Peter's confession, Luke tells us Jesus, always drawn to the mountaintop when he wanted to connect with his father, invited these three, Peter, James, and John, to hike with him up a mountain to pray. Maybe he just needed the support of some close friends. But there on the mountain, Jesus began to pray, and the disciples fell asleep. We can all probably relate to that in one way or another. But here, as his disciples slept, remarkable things started to happen. Scott Jose from Calvin Seminary writes, with no human or earthly voices available to encourage Jesus, God the Father stepped in. Jesus, there on the mountain, was suddenly transformed powerfully into a being of light. He shone with glory. There's our word. Magnificence, splendor, flashing like lightning, shone around and through him. His face shone like the sun. But his disciples inexplicably continued to sleep. Jose continues, The way Luke frames it, the whole dazzling event ends up being kind of lovely in its own way, as though the father, sensing the apprehension of the son, sent down some reinforcements to buck him up and help him make it across the finish line. It's the kind of thing a loving father does for his beloved son. That Jesus perhaps needed this boost is testament to his humanity. If you find it difficult to see Jesus as needing help, just remember how at the temptation, angels were sent from heaven to minister to him after he had fasted for 40 days. And later in the garden, in response to his deepest soul struggle, at the point of his arrest and death, angels again came to strengthen him. We remember that at the incarnation, Jesus voluntarily laid his glory down. The Christmas Carol reminds us with these words, mild he lays his glory by. But on the mountain that evening, perhaps, the glory returned to him and enveloped him. It flooded him. It emanated from him. Once again, glory and light define who he was. Once again, albeit briefly, his glory was restored as an essential part of his eternal, perfect, beautiful son of God, savior of the world being. In that transfiguration moment, Jesus embodied all the glory he had laid down and all the glory that would be permanently restored to him in eternity. And the strength and power and promise that would be needed for the future was pouring into him. I'm just gonna say that one more time. All the strength and power and promise that would be needed for the future was pouring into him. From Jose again, the rejection, suffering, and death were not to be the end of the story. He knew it in that moment in a way that went beyond the human part of him. I believe that it's possible here that the human part of Jesus tasted eternal life as a down payment on what was to be given to those who followed him, to all of us who have followed him. And then, suddenly, the disciples stirred. Rubbing their eyes, they awakened and they saw him too. They were lifted into the future glory of the kingdom of God. Of course, glory wasn't entirely new to them. They had tasted glory in their days with Jesus as he spoke a powerful word here or did a miracle there. But now Peter, James, and John saw the glory radiate directly from Jesus the glory of God was confirming that the confession they struggled to hang on to was true Peter's confession was true and their souls were strengthened we heard it tonight in the collect their souls were strengthened for what was ahead by this encounter with the glory of Jesus and then they saw Elijah and Moses shining with glory too These two were talking with Jesus about, of all things, his departure, meaning his death and resurrection, things the disciples couldn't understand at all at this point. In 2009, when I had emergency heart surgery to remove a benign tumor from my right atrium, one of the nurses who was caring for me in the hospital came, and she just pulled her shirt down a little bit, and she showed me the scar that she had. She had had heart surgery three months before, and she told me, you're going to be okay. Her health brought me peace and hope for my own recovery. When we hear someone talk about the thing we're most afraid of, assuring us that they've experienced it, lived it, and survived, that can help us through difficult times. Perhaps that's why Moses and Elijah were the two who joined Jesus on the mountain. Both had faced departure or death in rather unique ways, you can look back and see, but were now visibly alive and shining with the glory of God. Perhaps in these moments, the Father was infusing Jesus with hope. Then, as the conversation concluded, the disciples themselves were swept up into the cloud of glory. They could see the transformation in Jesus from dusty Jewish rabbi to king of all kings and lord of all lords, and they were offered a foretaste of the promised change that they themselves would experience. We read it in 2 Corinthians tonight. We are being transfigured, that word. We are being transfigured into the very image of Jesus As we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord. When I was in my 20s and on maternity leave from my job, excuse me, each Thursday morning I drove with a friend to a prayer meeting that had about 500 people gathered together. As I slipped into my seat each week, I saw and experienced a taste of glory in their worship and prayer, and it was all new to me. This is part of what drew me into a relationship with God that I hadn't even imagined was possible. These moments and others like them tell us there is more, and we are drawn forward, deeper into our love And passion for Jesus just as the glory the disciples experienced that day on the mountain would carry them through it all not perfectly but profoundly we are invited to walk into another dimension a glory dimension that can be a part of what carries us through whatever it is we must face in this thing that we call life and yes In the midst of the glory, Peter came up with an idea that sounds like Peter. But then, something kind of sweet happened. Peter and the others discovered they didn't have to come up with all the ideas. Father God took it out of their hands. That moment, the voice of God came out of the cloud of glory and said, in essence, shh, this is my son. Listen to him. I grew up in a church that didn't read or teach from the Gospels that often. They thought the Gospels were for another time. So it was very powerful when I became an Anglican to see the deacon walk down the aisle with the Gospel book elevated as we all stood and bowed and listened to the words of Jesus attentively in that act, we acknowledge that Jesus continues to speak, and we are called to listen. Shh. Listen to him. For these next six weeks of Lent, we will be encouraged to go deeper in knowing our Lord. And I'd like to offer you two suggestions to carry into the coming season. First, look for the glory. Look for moments we might typically overlook. Look for the slightest shimmer, whether it's a partial answer to a long prayed prayer, being able to worship in person, yes. Maybe it's a crocus breaking through the snow, or a lift of your spirit through music, the laughter of a child. Look for the glory. And then, to listen. Listen for the voice of the beloved. It might be a scripture that draws you close, maybe an intuitive word from God, a blessed conversation with a brother or sister, some bit of good news that moves us toward peace instead of war. Lord, have mercy on Ukraine. Have mercy. We are all facing quite a bit as we look to an uncertain future, the fear of what this war will mean for the world, an almost unparalleled animosity between different factions in our own country, not to speak of the democracy that we have generally considered stable now seeming to be shaky. Maybe for you, it's personal, it's family or health, or some hidden struggle. Whatever it is, whatever it is, look for the glory and listen for his voice and be held and encouraged and strengthened. I end with the words of author and preacher Barbara Brown Taylor. As Lent begins, If you've been looking for some excuse to head to your own mountaintop and pray, this is it. If you've been looking for some way to trade in your old ways of fear, for a fresh movement of the spirit in your soul, look no further. This is your chance to enter the cloud your chance to encounter God's contagious glory so that a little of the shining rubs off on you. Today you have heard a story you can take with you when you go up to the mountain. It tells you first that no one has to go up alone. It tells you that there is someone standing in the center of the cloud with you shining so brightly that you may never be able to wrap your mind around him, but who is worth listening to all the same because he is God's beloved, and you are his, and whatever comes next, you are up to it. As Bill would say if he were standing here, may it be so. May it be so. Amen.